if there's enough demand, people will make pooled models. The pooled models become much harder to police. Dot, dot. You know, it's like the, the cat and right. mouse game keeps going on. So like, I, I think that's where it's extremely different than Web 2. And that's also something where it's like purely the on-chain stuff will dominate the centralized. Because the centralized things mm. will look like Uber and they can shut you down, right? They can just turn off that market. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two Kwan. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, I named trading firms who were very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate possible. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together to give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros. First, you got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. GM, everyone. Next, we've got Tarun, the Gigabrain and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. Yo. Today, we've got a special guest, Julian, the architect at Avo, formerly Ribbon Finance. Yo, I guess I'm Robert Standen today. You are, you are, <laughs> yes. you are our, our, our DeFi, you are a DeFi maven today. Um, or I guess not, no, the crypto connoisseur today. Uh, and then I'm Hasib, the head hype man at Dragonfly. So we're also very sick. Crypto. We have a very sick, a slightly sick, today. slightly sick, not that sick, but my voice makes it sound sicker than I actually am. Uh, I want to caveat that nothing we say here is an investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see chopping block that XYZ for more disclosures. So, uh, Julian, welcome to the show. We should caveat that. I think everybody here is an investor into you <laughs> or into ribbon finance. I should say, um, we, we, we wanted to, we wanted to get you on, uh, because there's a, there's a lot of topics today that, that are kind of circulating in the crypto world that we thought you'd be the perfect guest to talk about. And we also want to get some time to talk about what you're doing with, with Ribbon Finance and Avo, because I think it's at the center of a, a lot of conversations that people are having right now about where DeFi is going and, and where crypto is going generally. Yeah, sure. But the big news this week that you just explained to me that you've been totally on top of is Jupiter. So for those people who don't know, I'll give the very brief background. So Jupiter is a DEX aggregator on Solana. So a DEX aggregator is essentially, um, you can think of it like a uh, like Priceline for DEXs. So essentially it looks across all different DEXs and tries to find the best price, best execution. Uh, and it you know does fancy routing in order to give you the best uh, possible price for whatever you want to buy. So one inch is, uh, in which we are investors, is the equivalent of this on Ethereum, Jupiter, is essentially, you know, they didn't take any VC backing. Uh, and people have been very excited about Jupiter because they were doing a point system. They technically did for they did technically take VC for one project, right? One of the coins did raise money. Yes. Well, prior so, project, you mean? Yeah, it was like uh it used to be like a curve on Solana, basically, last cycle. Oh, I see. Was it Saber? No, 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 no. Saber was the twins or the brothers, sorry. Oh, the, the McCollin Howe brothers. That's right. Okay, got it. So they, they were doing a separate... Okay. So they did something in the past that raised VC capital. Jupiter had no VC investors. So they had a very highly anticipated uh, uh, airdrop after their point system. Uh, and basically, we saw the day of their airdrop, huge amounts of activity. I think it, it uh, crossed over a billion dollars in daily volume. Several days leading up to the airdrop, which is very anticipated, they actually flipped Uniswap V4 for volume. Uh, and Solana on certain days actually superseded Ethereum, uh, DeFi generally for volume. The airdrop finally took place on February 1st, and we saw huge amounts of capital. Some people, uh, I think it was about, uh, let me see here. They, they rewarded about 10% of the supply to n about a million wallets 
that were active on the DEX aggregator before November 2nd. Um, today, the, the token is circulating about 60 cents, which would imply a fully diluted valuation of 6 billion, which would make them worth more than Uniswap on a fully diluted basis. Um, however, there's a lot of controversy around exactly how the airdrop took place. So despite the fact that you know some people got uh, $40,000 worth of Jupiter tokens on the airdrop, uh, there's a lot of controversy about the way in which the team uh, sold some of their tokens or maybe sold some of their tokens during this airdrop. Julia, so I, I couldn't understand it because there's a lot of people flinging around accusations on Twitter and it, it seems a little bit esoteric to me. Julia, can you walk us through like what, what the hell happened here and, and how, how do you think about it personally? Yeah, so I mean, this is what they call like an LBP on Ethereum. Um, basically, you can think of it as like a Uniswap V3 position, but it's one-sided. So they don't post USDC and Jupe tokens, they just post Jupe tokens. Um, and the range they had the Jupe tokens was between... 35 cents and 70 cents uh, or 69 or something. And basically what this means is once the price crosses 69, um, the whole LP position would be fully in USDC and it would be about 150 mil of USDC. So I think that was sort of expected uh, that the team sort of mentioned that this gives users like our traders the ability to sell back into the pool um, is sort of like good for traders and price discovery from their perspective. But I think what caused the, the uproar is like um, a lot of users didn't read the fine print, which was the team's going to remove the LP position in like three days. Uh, so they actually extended that to seven days. Um, but I think that sort of created all the drama where, you know, people just actually realized yesterday that Oh, if the price stays above 70 cents, the team's going to withdraw 150 mil of cash um, in a week. So I think that was sort of like the main cause for drama. And, and how do you feel about it? Do you feel like that's a fair criticism? Do you feel like, hey, they were transparent? They said this from day one. I, I think take? they were pretty transparent, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, they sort of masked some of the uh, terminology with like new words that they came up with, like an op open market auction <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, as people usually do. Um, so maybe some people were somewhat confused, but I mean, I, I kind of understood it pretty early on. So I felt like they didn't actually like change anything last minute, which I would consider wrong. In fact, like they actually increased how long the LP position would be in the pool for from like three days to seven days. Um, so, I mean, I think, yeah, anyone who actually understands like DeFi and read the fine print would have uh, would have followed it. I, I think my main criticism is like it's actually pretty hard to find this information because uh, the founder just writes these blog posts on Twitter, so it's just like these super long Twitter posts, and if you don't read them, you, you can't really find the information. I yeah, I would I would say I I, I agree with with that description. I I think like they were actually in some ways extremely descriptive of this um and i think a lot of people who are complaining like yeah we're really just complaining because they like were hoping that everything would have been written in the language that they understood immediately and i feel like they didn't really read the fine print and the and or they didn't get an airdrop so they somehow were pissed in some weird way but i i, I feel like if you've watched i mean you have to be a little bit um mentally insane to have watched all the content that 
Mr. Meow produced. I mean, that motherfucker was streaming 24 <laughs> seven for like the last, you know, it's like watching a live stream for him for like a week. But like, you know, I think he did say everything multiple times. He just kind of said it in weird formats and like, yeah, you know, but also I think one thing that maybe I wouldn't have done, even though I know there was a reason they wanted to do this, was they like launched all these meme coins beforehand that confused people <laughs> even more. Uh, so, but I, I don't want to confuse our listeners with that because that is another very deep rabbit hole that I think you probably just want to watch the live streams for or like watch them on 5x to try to to get oh, wait so the, literally live streams what oh what, yeah what his, was he live, Meow's live streams are cra- crazy like like yeah okay what, what what does he live stream so no i mean he he's not like a streamer but like leading up to the event he basically just said like fuck it i'm gonna go live and just like talk through the whole lbp process I was one of the few hundred people watching it, so I guess I understood it pretty well. Um, yeah, I see. But, I see. But yeah, I mean, is he, like, is he doxxed or no? No, he he's a public guy. Um, yeah, he's completely doxxed. I mean, I I think he actually explained it like pretty fairly. Uh, it's just like if you didn't really read or watch watch these like hours of content, maybe you would have missed the fact that they were going to withdraw like the LP or something. Yeah, all of this suggests that someone needs to train a Solana to ETH person uh, language model to convert all this Solana content to ETH people language, like translator. Right. Tom, what's your take on this? I Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's maybe the component around transparency. But the other point, too, is like, you know, people's got airdropped, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars, and they're upset that the team is providing liquidity and maybe also taking some liquidity for themselves after not having raising any money. Like, I, I feel like no matter what you do with airdrops, people are always going to be upset and they always want more, even though uh, they're always getting free money. And so I think this kind of comes back to the point around like, y- you know, you get this great uh, um, uh, sort of press moment out of it. But, uh, you know, to an extent, there's, there's always going to be people who are dissatisfied with some component of it. Yeah, I think like the dissatisfaction usually comes if there's not like an immediate price pump on the first day, which a lot of like people who may have missed the airdrop, they're probably like betting that, oh, maybe it'll still go up. They, they're trying to trade the event. So I think like if the event is like a nothing burger or it just goes down, suddenly like all these people get mad. Um, I, I mean, we've seen this like so many times. So I think, you know, like for Jupiter, especially, I feel like a lot of the price discovery actually happened in these like pre-markets, which maybe we'll speak about later. So, like, the, the actual day one launch was pretty boring. It was, like, a, not a, exciting at all. It's a great transition to talk about AVO, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, so one of the interesting parts of the story was the price discovery that started taking place before Jupiter actually launched, uh, because AVO, which is uh, the product that was launched by originally Ribbon Finance, um, uh, AVO actually listed a, I guess, a, a futures for uh, for Jupiter before before it launched, and I think at the time your your the pricing on the futures was pretty in line with where the token originally came out. Talk us through um, how you think about launching uh, derivatives of of assets that don't yet exist. I remember back in the day uh, there were a few exchanges that started doing like centralized exchanges that started doing this. Um, very interesting to see this happening in DeFi. I'd, I'd love Coin to hear your flex. thoughts and, and strategy. 
You remember Coinflex? Well, there was a few others. There was a few others. Yeah, yeah. There's some Chinese exchanges that also used to do that a lot. Um, so, like, so I'm curious. Yeah, talk I, us through it. Some of them still do it today. I think uh, KuCoin is one of the bigger ones. Um, but I mean, they kind of rip users off with like the fees, like five percent or two percent or something, just for one trade. So it's really expensive. Uh, there's like physical delivery of coins. It, it's pretty uh, sort of annoying to use, I think. And um, yeah, I think one of the ones that we got inspiration from was like the FTX Coinbase market, which was like, they actually listed the, a Coinbase perp before Coinbase IPO, which is like really interesting. And I think, you know, liquidity was really bad. And like, I don't think any serious people are trading there, but it was still like an interesting market. Um, it's more akin to, I would say like a prediction market compared to like an actual like future. Um, so the type of people who want to trade these things are more of like prediction market style speculators compared to like actual people who want to trade the stock. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we started working on this, like maybe six months ago. I think the original idea was it came out of this like Binance launch pool. Uh, so, so Binance maybe six months ago announced they were going to launch say, which was like a pretty anticipated coin, um, and like within our office, we were all just like guessing, oh, do we think say is going to launch at a billion or like two billion? And we were just like making a market like just casually. Um, I think like someone just had a crazy idea like, oh, what if we just made a market on Avo itself for this? Like instead of just like betting P2P, what if we could just list uh, some sort of market? So yeah, we, we kind of just did that. And I think the core idea was like, what if people could trade this and um, when the token actually launches, we actually input like an index price. So it'll start converging onto the actual price of the token because of the funding rate. Um, so it kind of is like this future, but it doesn't deliver on the day itself. It kind of like gently transitions into like a, a, a regular perp through the funding rate uh, when, when the actual token is la launched. But before the token launches, you know, uh, there's this whole long period where people are just trading this weird thing, like no one actually knows what the price is. It's kind of completely dislocated from um, from anything. So it becomes a very interesting thing to trade as well. Um, so yeah, Jupiter was like obviously one of the most like anticipated launches in the last few months. Uh, we made a market for it in December. And we, we when we first started this market, it was only trading at a billion. Um, and then over the month, like Solana and Jupiter got like super hyped. The market started trading all the way up to like 8 billion. Uh, and over the last week, it sort of like came down all the way to 0 0.4, like 4, 4 billion. And then it kind of settled at six. So yeah, I think interestingly, uh, a lot of people uh, were, were trading this market. It was like our biggest pre-launch market by far. Uh, quite a few mil of open interest. Um, so I actually do think a lot of like price discovery happens on, on these things, interestingly. And like, I mean, what, one of the most interesting phenomenon that I've seen is there are all these YouTube videos and like tutorials and on YouTube of like, how do I hedge my airdrop on Evo? Cause I mean, if you know that <laughs> Jupiter is giving you like 200 tokens in, in a month, I can go to Evo and just like sell it now and like lock in the price. So that has become like one of the interesting primary use cases of these markets. All these like industrial level airdrop farmers can kind of lock in a price. Um, yeah. 
So, so actually, a very funny thing I've observed recently, and I won't um, name names, but I, I've <clears throat> heard some larger fund investors who have literally indexed how they were valuing a private company, like pre-token, um, based on the AVO price. So they were like, here are the comps, AVO prices of their pre-token launch. And so we're going to value this round of this pre- other pre-launch, pre like earlier than that pre-launch token at some multiple times the AVO price. So like, I, I feel like that is, if there's a sign of success, it's like private market I mean, investors. It does make are, sense. Yeah, yeah like, that's, would you, that's, would you rather rational. trust like a million dollars in like actual secondary physically delivered SAFs or would you rather trust like, you know, 10 million open interest in AVO? Um, I, 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 I agree, but like, you know, for instance, uh, there's a lot of incentive for the team to go trade the comps and push the comps price up so that their valuation goes up, right? Like, like it, it's kind of a the thing where, I mean, <laughs> the private market investors have to be kind of a little bit Cautious. Do prediction markets solve this? Prediction markets solve this on their own. Um, but sure, it's, but it, well, it's interesting. I, I love, I love this idea, Julian. That yeah, yeah. To be clear, yes, obviously, you know, for relative to a team that wants to really push up their market comps, which it, it, it's it's funny to imagine that that's the reason why you're <laughs> you're uh, uh, you know the the perps on your. Uh, I, I will say that this, this private investor didn't even think about this when I mentioned that. Oh well, what if the team did this? They're like. Wait a minute! I have to go back and look. Right. I mean, to be clear, you could also do this on SAFs, right? Like, if you want to go buy, sure, you know, sure, a thinly sure. traded SAF, and I, I think it's funny that someone was investing and didn't even like think that this would be an adverse selection type of thing against them. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, what's interesting? What I, I really like this idea of airdrop farmers hedging their uh, their their price risk, right? Um, and we should we should maybe talk a little bit about what what this means, and it, this ties into one of the next things I want to discuss, which is which is points and airdrops generally, because it's been a big theme, especially of what's happening in Solana, given how many projects on Solana are uh, courting users with with airdrops or point systems. So, an airdrop farmer, for those who are not familiar, airdrops are when uh, a protocol basically rewards users of the protocol or people who are doing some kind of work for the protocol with tokens, and. Uh, we've seen these things called airdrop farmers, which are basically people who are more or less gaming the system. They are, they're kind of inorganically pretending to do things that users are supposed to be doing in order to try to make money from the protocol that's kind of giving away these incentives to, to users. So if you sort of imagine the person who like creates multiple Uber accounts and refers their own accounts, that's the real world equivalent of what airdrop farmers are doing. But in crypto, you know, nobody can tell you're a dog as the old joke goes. Uh, and so there's no, it's not very easy to actually figure out who's a real user and who's kind of a quote unquote airdrop farmer, uh, unless there are certain signatures that look, that look, actually look, by the way, you, you know, the apart. same thing is true for every e-commerce platform. There's tons of fake volume. Uh, of course, but like people, people generally use like, um, you know, they use like phone verification in order to dedupe duplicate people and stuff like that. Um, but yes, there's fraud in every kind of referral that, scheme. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, of course. I used to work in anti-fraud, so I know very well how many people uh, uh, try to game these systems, especially outside of the U.S., um, where like the, the the relative incentive to game these referral systems is extremely high. Um, so the the interesting thing is that okay, so there's these industrial airdrop farmers. You know, we, we can't really call them hedge funds because I don't think you can do it at the scale of like you know tens of millions of dollars, but probably in single digit millions you can make by doing this kind of industrial airdrop farming, quote unquote. Uh, the, the interesting thing is that there's another protocol called Pendle, um, which has also gotten a huge surge in popularity 
specifically because people who are farming points on Eigenlayer are using it to hedge their Eigenlayer points. So essentially, uh, uh, Pendle, my understanding is that allows you to uh, take your future yield, package it up, and sell it to somebody else, which is essentially not just your future yield, but also your future uh, airdrop on Eigenlayer. And so essentially, it's become like this pre-launch market for Eigenlayer and valuing your Eigenlayer points. Um, and so the market is kind of finding all these weird little ways to be able to give financial products and like hedging products to these industrial airdrop farmers. And it's becoming quite a, quite a big business. Um, so I, I find this fascinating, the way in which people are finding markets where they otherwise, like Pendle before Eigenlayer took off, uh, or not took off, you know, it started getting lots of TVL, let's say, uh, Pendle was was kind of floundering in terms of uh, product demand, but they've kind of found their one thing that seems to really be working for the protocol. So I'm curious to to, to get the perspective from you guys. Um, so first up, the, the the rise of points. Uh, we we talked before about points. I think Tarun, you mentioned that points was uh, the the biggest innovation that you thought you've seen in, or the best uh, best new innovation well, well, uh, for well, this I, year. Let, let, let's just say it it it's the innovation that attracted people back. <laughs> Sure, I, I would... sure. It's, it's it's worked incredibly well. Um, and points are connected to airdrops, but they're not the same as airdrops, right? So, so uh, uh, well, let me let me ask you this: How would you define the difference between airdropping tokens, which was the meta for a very long time? Uh, you know, Hayden, the founder of Uniswap, infamous for having done the, the you know the, the sort of airdrop heard around the world, one of the biggest airdrops in history. Um, he's been very critical of points. How would you describe the difference between airdrops and points and how points are different from, from just pure vanilla airdrops? So, so one, one very important difference is that airdrops um, generally have a fixed criteria that is verifiable on-chain um, for when you can claim. So that basically means like, hey, did I use the product for a certain amount of time? I did some set of actions. And then based on those actions, the protocol codifies that in a a smart contract such as a Merkle distributor or different type of distributor to, to allow you to claim your, your tokens. Points, however, are sort of arbitrary insofar that as they're you know, realistically at the discretion of the team. They're not actually converted to real tokens. There's like, oh, you do some actions, you get these points, and they may convert to uh, tokens later, right? So you know, the examples of those are Jupiter, Gito, et cetera, that had like you know, a lot of these types of systems. And of course, Eigenlayer being the biggest one now. Um, I think the inevitable, the beauty of crypto is that there's this inevitable thing where there, there will be like the AVO for points. There's already like whales market, which lets you do P2P points trading. And like, obviously, once there's enough liquidity in that, people will make a prediction-like market, uh, whether it's looks like AVO, whether it's, whether it's more like a prediction market for bet for trading these types of things. The difference is that there's still some discretion in how the points turn into tokens on the team. And so that's the place that I think most of the criticism is, is that uh, the, the team, uh, the teams are holding that. Now, I, I think there's a way to view this in the dialectic. There's like the positive, right? Which is like the point systems allow developers of protocols to see which actions people are doing. And then over time, sort of almost like a A-B test experiment, uh, a kind of get users to do actions that are more beneficial to the protocol's long-term health than just like add liquidity, get tokens, remove liquidity, right? Like that that was sort of the the old game that existed. Um, 
So it actually allows for for basically, you know, and in my mind, the, the the best case scenario is protocol developers get to use their users as QA testers, and and points are a way of like really uh, flushing that out. That's that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that the the team just kind of ru like rugs the users or changes their criteria, and then the users are like, "What the fuck? Like we committed our capital and we didn't." So I think the the key thing is like, you know. A little bit like what happens in, in e-commerce marketplace optimization, you kind of have to like, kind of gently do this type of these changes. You can't like do them very abruptly because like obviously that will lose user trust. Um, but I do think there's sort of like, you know, having the right types of commitments from these teams is like quite important. Um, I just generally think though the beauty of permissionless finance is that someone will make the prediction market, and all of a sudden your points thing won't be won't be this like thing that's in the control of the team anymore. Yeah, I kind of, uh, when we talk about like futures and hedging, I'm always reminded of uh, this kind of a famous story of how like Ray Dalio helped McDonald's hedge like corn and uh, uh, soy futures to be able to create chicken nuggets. Um, and so I'm kind of like, th this feels kind of like the chicken nuggets of uh, I guess like crypto futures and that like it, they allow sort of industrial uh, air farming or um, airdrop farming and like uh, uh, points farming to exist and that people can now maybe effectively hedge or, or uh, calculate the rewards without having to like be subject to the volatility. But I don't know if that's really kind of the outcome or the, the good thing that we want. Like I, chicken, chicken nuggets are great. I don't know if like airdrop farming is actually good for users or protocols or the ecosystem in general. You could, you could argue both are equally bad for your health. You could. <laughs> one involves you so sitting Julian, and clicking, clicking all day in front of a computer, and the other one is well, you know, the McDonald's chicken nugget, which is famously bad. I mean, I assume a lot of it is automated if you're doing this at scale, but yes, I'm sure there's also sure. But like, you have to actually desk. you have, you have to keep reprogramming when they change the rules on the points, right? It's not like it's, sure, yeah, you have to keep watching these live streams apparently. So yeah, there's there's exactly, a lot of pieces exactly. to it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Julian, you guys have intentionally not done. A point system in in Avo, um, and so you guys originally Riven Finance. You're launching a new product called Avo. You're rebranding the token. Talk us through like why did you decide to do that? Points seem to be the meta. Why are you guys not doing the meta? Yeah, so I mean, I agree a lot with what Turin just said. Like, uh, I mean, there's like a positive and a negative um, in terms of like the positive. The team gets to iterate on on how the rewards are, uh, are given out. Uh, some ambiguity is sort of left on the table so that the team can still change things. If, I mean, uh, if like some sort of user behavior is really getting skewed because the criteria is not set up in the right place, team can sort of shift it over time. But I do think in the last, you know, few months, um, maybe the pendulum has swung in the other direction where, you know, teams obviously know that currently airdrops are kind of this hot meta and, Anyone who, who announces an airdrop will sort of attract a bunch of people. Uh, and I think the pernicious part about points is they can sort of just dangle this criteria in front of you and decide to just not give you anything. Because ultimately, they control like what the conversion of points to tokens are. Uh, that's sort of like the, the, the weapon that they have. So yeah, I think you know currently in the points meta everyone's like trying to do this calculate like this the, the meta game is really just like okay i can i know how many points i'm going to get but the, the second game that they're playing is how many points do we think is going to convert to tokens so they, they're really two two sides of that game and i think uh 
like one one phrase that I've been seeing on Twitter recently is like uh, the farmers are getting farmed. So you know teams are sort of attracting all this TVL, like all this, but uh, by, by dangling some a point reward. But if it, eventually they just decide to give the the farmers nothing. So I think that sort of creates a very bad taste in people's mouth. I mean, I I don't I I think it's just very tempting, right? Like if you have the ability to. You already have the TBL. You you don't need to give the tokens uh, at that point. So it is very tempting for the team. Um, but yeah, I, I do think the pendulum is starting to to shift away from it. I think people are it, like this two level game also creates a lot of mental like uh, fatigue in terms of like you need to think about how I'm actually farming the airdrop, which is like how I'm getting points, and like you need to sort of try and reason about whether the team's gonna give you some amount of tokens. So yeah, I think we just feel like, you know, the classic airdrop liquidity mining style thing actually works pretty well. Like the criteria is clear up front on how you're getting these tokens. Uh, you know, you're getting X amount of tokens, you can value it. And I mean, with the rise of um, all these like financialization of points, it, it's kind of the same thing anyway. Like if, if you know it's going to be the same thing, why go through all these hoops? Um, so yeah, I think like something simple actually feels better and works better for everyone. Um, so I think we're just going to do that instead. On the other hand, I will say one thing is there is an analog of these point systems uh, in normal finance that's not, you know, like credit card points or something, but that is the pre-IPO equity sales where, you know, right before a company IPOs, um, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll sell in advance at a discount or, you know, undetermined floating discount sometimes. Um, some fraction of their stock prior to IPO um, so that they have some like guaranteed liquidity on day one. And usually those people are kind of like holding for a year and they have some kind of discount rights. And like if the IPO doesn't happen, then like they get, they get paid back in some way partially. Um, and in some ways, these point systems just feel like a m almost more algorithmic version of the like pre-IPO to IPO conversion market. Uh, and... I just think because crypto is crazy, you have all these like amazing prediction markets that show up like almost instantly for like how much an eigenvalue point is worth. Actually, the eigenvalue point market is one of the funnier point markets that you can see. Like the spread in people's pricing is insane. It's like it's it it truly is like like amazing to look at like how like a market can start with so much uncertainty and then like over time like kind of converge. It's like such a such a beautiful like thing to watch. It's funny. The other analog, I guess, when I think about the to the pre-IPO market is that there's also this like weird pricing game where like you you actually like don't want to hit the exact market clearing price when you're you're pricing your company. Like you want a small pop on IPO day, which is kind of like the same as like token launch, which actually means you like left value on the table, but it sort of makes everybody feel good to like see the number go up, even though it means you sold for you know under market and and uh, was you're probably not the, the right decision. So it's like, you know, airdrop farmers also want to see the token go up, even though, you know, maybe they're selling into it or, or maybe, you know, the team is leaving money on the table. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I, I, I tend to think that uh, uh, despite the points that you made, Julian, I tend to think that points are, you, you made the point that they're less transparent. Um, I think that is in some ways to the benefit of the protocol, because once things are completely transparent, then it is a pure financial calculation. And there's there's clearly something about people that 
uh, like, you know, the Jupiter airdrop, the Jupiter, Jupiter team is going to continue to do points and they're going to continue to basically create more and more incentives and, and uh, airdrop more tokens over time. Um, but somehow I think we all know that nobody's ever going to care nearly as much as they will about this initial airdrop. Um, not just because of the scale, like maybe they'll do a one that's even bigger scale possibly, you know, one can imagine that, but people aren't going to care to, to anywhere near the same extent. The spotlight effect is going to be much less uh, because of the fact that there's so much uncertainty about what the initial airdrop is going to look like and feel like and what the story is going to be. Um, and and the same thing is true for almost all of the liquidity mining programs that have been done by, even if you think of you know DeFi V1 protocols that initially did liquidity mining or are continuing to experiment with liquidity mining. Um, the, the big stories was the first time they did it and what the token came out at and what, how it floated and blah, blah, blah. And that's when like the TVL was, uh, you saw the most craziness. And so there is something about the uncertainty and just like the really, really, um, the massive volatility that attracts people, creates storylines, gets people's imaginations really going. And then once it's a, okay, well, you know, here's how much the comp emissions are and here's how it changes your da da da. And you, you just kind of do the, you just do the math on a spreadsheet and you decide how much liquidity to add based on this, this incentive. Um, it does lose some of that magic that I think points hold on to for quite a bit longer. Um, now maybe maybe it's just a function of the token floating the first time, and, and the second time you do it, you know, second points program, nobody cares. Hasib, are you telling us but, that you really need to go like to an amusement park and go on a roller coaster and just get a thrill again? Because like that's kind of that's what you're saying. You're like you want the you want the thrill. That's what I'm you saying. Thrill back. Yeah, you want the thrill I, I'm, back. Like, I'm not back. an airdrop farmer, so I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> I'm talking about the the. It is it is very clear the level of engagement when you make people. Not no, I mean it's like you know why why do people enjoy uh, you know uh, 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 I don't know like a, a, a pretty bad example. Um, I knew a lot of guys when I was a professional poker player who were low stakes grinders, right? And they would play poker and they would grind out making like ten dollars an hour or fifteen dollars an hour, but they would hate working at McDonald's. And McDonald's, I don't know, like some jobs at McDonald's actually pay more than that. But there's something about like the uncertainty and the risk and whatever. It's like oh my god, I'm making my money doing this cool thing. Uh, that really captivates people. But if you if you make it very clear to them, here's how much money you're making per hour, uh, and it's exactly this every single hour, and there's no uncertainty and there's no risk, people are like, ah, you know, I don't know, that's not that's not it's not it's not as fun uh, uh, to do that as to bound myself up with the uncertainty. Even if sometimes I get rugged, people seem to enjoy well, it more. I think it's just part of human nature. What if, uh, like I told you that, like the trend of people feeling like they get rugged keeps increasing over time. And I think that I think that is going to happen, and there's going to be a new disappointment every single month. And I think that will kind of change the meta again. So I I just feel like um, if at, at some point maybe, maybe I'm a bit early on this, but if, if you say you're launching a points program, it's kind of the same thing as like saying yeah we're just going to like screw you over later. Uh, so I do agree with with your point, but uh, I do think that like there's going to be like a strong trend towards these things disappointing to the downside uh, for most users. And that would basically kind of kill the airdrop. Maybe, maybe that's like for the, for the better, actually. Um, I mean, okay. I thought this was going a- to happen years ago, but it hasn't <laughs> happened. Like the, it, it, air, the points are, are very strange because it should be a gigantic prisoner's dilemma, which is that you let everybody else create this norm that you launch points and then when the points system is finally done, you get this big juicy airdrop and you make everyone happy. And you would think 
that everybody's individual incentive is to defect and basically uh, hype people up and make them think they're going to do this massive airdrop and then do a tiny little nothing airdrop, but get all the usage anyway, get all the TVL, get all the trading volume anyway, because you're sort of retroactively rewarding people, which shouldn't work. From a game theory perspective, that should not work. That should be just an unsustainable equilibrium. And it's been like years now and it just it just keeps working because people are afraid of getting yelled at on Twitter. And like when when you see people defect and they don't do the thing, they don't give a juicy enough airdrop, people on Twitter yell at them for about 10 minutes and the, and the team immediately folds. They're just immediately like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. We clearly miscalibrated. We're going to go back to the drawing board. Uh, we, our, our sincere apologies. We didn't realize how much the community has given us. And they go back and they revise the airdrop and they, and they do a bigger one. Every fucking time, every fucking time this happens. And... It, it amazes me because, of course, these airdrop farmers are overwhelmingly not their actual users. These are mostly non-sticky users who don't really care about their products, and they leave as soon as they get their airdrop. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the people who are disappointed are, like, the people you don't want, right? These, It's like the, you know, in, in traditional um, Web2 world, like, the, the more incentives and the more, you know, affiliates and the more referrals you give out, like, the, the less sticky, the less these people spend, like, the, the worse these users are. And so... It's really hard to um, replicate uh, organic users who, who find your product organically or through word of mouth and they just love it and they're sticky. And so it feels like you know, that was sort of the, the initial idea of, of liquidity mining is it's this small subsidy to kind of get people in the door. Um, and instead, it just turned into like, well, we're just going to attract all these basically toxic users who um, are sort of net negative for the product or aren't actually going to retain and pay them. And then they're going to leave as soon as they're not getting paid enough. And it's like, these are people you'd even want in the first place, um, unless they're you know contributing some sort of massive value to the ecosystem, which doesn't really seem like they are. Well, the counter argument many people make is that well, you know, airdrops are not really about um, you know you know users or retention or whatever. They're really about distribution of the token, and so you're just finding a way to decentralize the token and you know whatever these assholes are good. At, they're just as good as anyone else. Yeah, I actually so I I give a talk on sort of airdrop stuff at this Aptos Summit recently. And I brought in this uh, research from uh, Jack Hawthorne, I think, who works at, at Variant. It was uh, one of the interesting bits was, um, I mean, obviously there's this analysis of um, people who received airdrops from um, Uniswap and, and OneInch and, and things like that. And what they do? By and large, like a year in, like 90, 95% of them had already sold the token. Um, not super surprising. Um, the interesting part was people who bought the tokens from those airdrop sellers were more engaged in governance. They held the token longer, like because they were actually putting their own capital and time into the into you know the token, they were therefore more engaged and more invested in it. And so, yeah, maybe it distributes it to a larger number of, of addresses, but these are not necessarily the addresses that are going to be your core user base and your core uh, fan base. Like uh, to, to your point, um, it also does seem like the ICOs are making a bit of a comeback again. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you have seen, but there are these new like protocols launching. Uh, there, there's one that launched yesterday, which got a lot of hype. But basically, their whole like branding and tagline is about like making ICOs great again. So I, I do think there's some like nostalgia, or maybe uh, I don't know. We're just like running back <laughs> 2017 like concepts again. Um, but yeah, I mean like I mean maybe this Jupiter thing where you know effectively they did do a big public sale of of the token. Um, through this liquid uh, LBP thing, uh, but yeah, maybe there's like going to be a sort of revenge of the ICO this cycle. I, I don't know. It, it seems it's like is Meow American? Again. 
He's uh no, he's based in Singapore as well. A Singaporean, I see. So so actually, I you know I I actually am you know like I said, I think there's ways to use point systems kind of positively to like stress test things. Um, especially if it's like to stress test how people will use stuff. So I think the eigenlayer point system stuff is actually the most interesting experiment to me because all of these liquid restaking protocols, which are technically adding a lot of risk in some ways because a lot of them are levered via things like Pendle. And, and, and they're levered in weird ways. So that's that's you know, right now you don't necessarily see that risk because things are trading at par. There's not like some kind of deviation like Peg, like they're not supposed to be pegged assets, but they like they you know they trade in some range, and so that's why these these things seem to be somewhat stable. But the uh, I, I think the interesting thing, right, is like this is actually before there's a lot of AVSs. You're actually stress testing the stuff that people are building on top, and what they're doing is they're adding their own point system, and so now you're getting these like not so great users from a you know revenue retention or stickiness perspective. To basically QA whether something will blow up for you before you're live. And I actually think that's a very interesting use case of this type of stuff. Now, as I said, you can tell from the points market pricing, like no one agrees on what the value of an eigenlayer point is right now. It's like the, the variance is, is insane. And so I think that in and of itself means you get more, you get more like reps of like, you know, QAing is the wrong. It, it's it's sort of like it's like somewhere in between stress testing and QAing. And like, I actually think there's some there's some po- some protocols that are new technology where that's actually a huge positive versus like finding out when your tokens live. I well, I guess I don't understand for Eigenlayer in particular how it's QAing and not just making it a bigger honeypot. Because what what I mean, what is there to QA right now? Well, I mean the the how stable these LRTs are, right? Like, do they have this huge aggregation effect, or will they compete with each other so that it, you know you relatively? Oh, I see. But that's like downstream of uh, that. But that's right. That's but that impacts of, the security. That impacts the security of the, the. Yeah, but it impacts the security of that, right? So it's 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 actually a way of like seeing what happens with things that aren't in your control, right? Protocols built on top of you are driving volume, and like you're able to see like this kind of like interaction effects that you might not have predicted when you were just you're you're trying to build your new thing so i i think like there's a world in which that type of stuff is it's like incentivized qa testing it's like better yeah. than it's like somewhere in between incentivized testnet and like a live you're, you're getting baited but you're getting paid to be baited um and so it all works out <laughs> you know you know i'm sure i'm sure I'm, sh- I'm sure this is like you know getting catfished but like then turning out to like like the person have you yeah, guys you become friends <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to find some analogy, but I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds like know, a, that sounds like a great romantic comedy. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, for some of these like social based points system like Frontech. There's this whole rise of like this three three thing. I, have you guys seen that? I think that's like one of the most interesting phenomenon. What is this? Uh, so, so basically, Frentech and maybe Blast and a few other protocols, they give you extra points if you refer other people. So there's this like virality component to it. Like how many people can you bring in gives you some sort of multiplier. So there are these like informal groups of people, like they're not even DAOs, they're just like Twitter people. And basically they just make an upfront commitment saying, if you use my ref link, I'm going to give you back like 50% later. Like 
I'm going to give the bonus that I got oh, from the protocol to I just see. like send it back to your wallet. And there are all these like accounts <laughs> now, which are just like zero X CBB or whatever. It's one of the most famous ones. Uh, basically he has like an extremely massive, like, um, blast group of people using his ref link because he has made this commitment to, to give it all back or uh, to give half of it back. So yeah, there's, it's like a very interesting coordination between people. I, I think, you know, maybe at some point someone's going to like codify this into a protocol or, or some sort of yeah. like smart contract way of distributing the points. But, uh, yeah, it is very interesting to see how, well, but okay. So this is, this is one of the advantages of points though, is that points are, are revocable, right? It's not a hard commitment in a way that like, you know, you're talking about how the nice thing about airdrops that they're totally transparent. The rules are set up in advance. The whole point about points is that it's like, well, the team has a discretion to say like, wait, hold on, you're break, like, no, this is not okay. You're gaming this and this is not in the spirit of competition. Um, and so, you know, I don't know the particular person you mentioned, but I can imagine Blast, you know, when they actually are ready to, com to convert the uh, points into the, into the tokens, um, they're like, wait, actually looks like this guy and these guys over here, like what they're doing is bullshit. Uh, and so fuck all of you and fuck all your points. Um, and even, you know, people who are trading on whatever that whale market is, um, uh, sort of doing these, this uh, is whale market. Yeah. So yeah. this place where people are trading points, you can imagine that a bunch of point systems just go through whale market. Is it open? Can you like see all the people who are trading? You can yeah. see all the bids. It's just peer to peer. It's just you can, it, it, you can see all the bids. Yeah, yeah, if it's peer to peer, you can imagine people just going in there and like saying, "Look, we're going to go back through like the history of everyone who's traded on this marketplace and invalidate everyone. All your points go to zero, and all of a sudden, people will feel this real fear that like, oh shit, I better not try to financialize my points because if I get caught doing it, they go away, and that becomes a big risk." Yeah, but I, I feel like this cat and mouse game sounds actually quite entertaining, right? Between the team and the it's just like now it's now now it's in another level of game theory between them. Yes, totally, totally. But that's also true for airdrops, right? Like, I mean, back in the day when people were doing just vanilla airdrops, they would spend a lot of energy trying to filter out, you know, the airdrop farmers and the inorganic activity and this and that. Um, and so this has always happened, at least with point systems, it's more transparent that that is in the purview of the team to go in and do the work to figure out, you know, who's doing this honestly and who's kind of fucking around. Uh at the same time, I do kind of agree with Julian. I kind of think there's there's going to be two market forces that caught, kind of cause these things to change again. One is people being like, "I can't, I can't get rid, of, get out of these, and I need liquidity." Fine, but the second is sort of this uh, aspect of like, if these financial markets start becoming sufficiently liquid, and then the team is like, "Hey, we're going to ban you from using it." It could go. There are two ways this could go. This could go like, okay, people are afraid they won't, they won't sell, or that market will suddenly be more liquid because everyone's like, oh, my liquidity is worthless in this protocol anyway, so I'm just going to exit, right? And so like, there's so many different game like end states from this that would be. You mean you mean take your uh, liquidity out of the protocol, or do you mean exit yeah. your points? Well, exit your points because you 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 you're assuming that your tokens are going to be worthless, and so th that that kind of causes this like everyone, no one adding new liquidity, right? Like it actually will like flatline the point system. So like, there's this interaction say, because it's less liquid, the points are less valuable in and of themselves. Yeah, and and also if like the team says, oh yeah, we're not going to give you an airdrop, then like now the most of the market, no, you you might just say no new entrants join your protocol. 
So there's like there is this kind of trade off that happens, and I think that will be this like tit for tat type of thing where like one side does one thing, the other side makes another market, and like that's the beauty of right. these permissionless markets, right? Like <laughs> you can't really stop anyone <laughs> from doing that. It's not like TradFi where Gary Gensler can like beat you on the head with like a a bonk mallet. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I don't know what point our point security is. I don't know. That one is too hard. Uh, Good luck. Points are just points. Yeah, points are just points. You know, Um, I think uh, I think everyone needs to go back and take like a uh, yeah beanie babies. Uh, Everyone needs to go back and take like a Web two growth marketing course because I feel like all this stuff has been so well trodden. Like even the referral thing that you're mentioning earlier, there's like this kind of famous story of in the early days of Uber, um, the software engineer figured out that you can get like a lower, uh, uh, I think Uber is giving out like $20 to everybody that you could refer. And so the software engineer figured out that, um, you know, you could run Google uh, uh, search words ads um, for uh, less than that, like $20 CAC, like he was paying like $2 for running, you know, Uber referral code or something um, ads on that on, on that search term on Google. And so he's just racking up like tens of thousands of dollars in Uber credits by running Google ads for his own Uber referral link. And eventually you know, Uber found out and they like shut down his account or removed his credits or something. But it's like all the, you know, humans are humans and they just respond to incentives. And a lot of this stuff has been tried many, many times over. And so I think if we maybe learn more from kind of the past attempts at doing this, we'd like yeah. have actually better systems versus kind of reinventing. You know, I mean, this is why I brought up the like marketplace optimization, A-B testing stuff, right? Like that's how people catch or at least test, do these experiments to catch people, right? Like, and and I think that the 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 teams doing points are kind of, it's not like they're not they they know they need to do that. So it's, I think it's it's just more like the the quick financialization changes this in the sense that your A/B test can be like interacted with in a way that you can't control. <laughs> so there's the that's a novel thing that's very true crypto only. Like this whales market points market interacting with like how how people are using your protocol is like that's a totally weird thing or like avo interacting with how vcs are pricing deals that's also a new thing right you know do, do you remember in like the early maybe like 20 2013 2015 there were like tons of vcs would just be like give me your daus and maus and like retention and like okay i'm i'm, like I'm valuing capital. your company from that Right, like this yeah, is this yeah. this is like that, except it's like people are putting more skin in the game. Yes, I mean, so true. Are you arguing that a team should not be actively kind of policing and deleting points and um, you know trying to enforce the non-transferability of points? I I just think like it's going to be it, it, it. You know, I think initially if they do it, people might get scared, but then people will start finding ways around it. Like, the, don't underestimate the creativity of people who want liquidity. Of course. But I mean, look at, I mean, Tom just brought up the point of like, okay, Uber and the referral codes, right? Like, okay, if you're Uber, but Uber you know, can oh, actually well, you know shut you out. It's of all the in the game. Technically, Uber of course, can shut you out. So of can system. a point system. You're, no, I, I can go sell on whales market whenever. Like, yeah, my I mean, point like, is there'll be I a mean, financial uh, product that comes <laughs> out to let you get out, which yeah, you, I, Uber, you're locked in. I think for whales market, right. But like, you can collapse the value of the, of the secondary market. Yeah, no, no, you, you definitely can collapse it by like doing these rules. But I do agree that Tarun, but with Tarun's point, it's just like we, we literally have this like permissionless uh, trading of these things and no one can stop it because, you know, it's all traded in dollars. It's not traded in the tokens of points. Like it's, it's literally a completely separate thing and, and it's like enforceable with like contracts, uh, smart contracts. So it, it, it is like a very crypto native thing. Um, 
that you, you can, you know for sure that this protocol is going to be able to deliver the collateral if the points are worth nothing or, or some, something like that, which I think is like, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite novel actually. Wait, so the points are generally tied to the address, are they not? Or are they tied to something else that's transferable? They are tied to the address. So you're selling like an address. In, in, in Wales market, you're not selling anything. It's really just like a, a future that we both agree on. So if you are the seller of these oh, points, I, I just post USDC as well. Oh, I see. I'm not actually selling. Yeah, it's the like a CFP. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, see, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. Got the, it. The, the so you couldn't necessarily point. identify where the points that are being speculated on are originating yeah, from. You can't really stop it. Yeah. I see. Exactly. I see. Well, you can't. You can't. Ident- like if somebody creates a new account exactly. that is not the account that actually has the points they're hedging, then you can't necessarily tell who's who's doing what. Also, uh, if there's enough demand. If there's enough demand, people will make pooled models. The pooled models become much harder to police. You know, it's like the the cat and mouse game keeps going on. So, like, I I think that's where it's extremely different than Web 2. And that's also something where it's like purely the on-chain stuff will dominate the centralized. Because the centralized things Mm. will look like Uber and they can shut you down, right? They can just turn off that market. But clearly, you can't really shut off these on-chain markets for this stuff. And that's that's where the fun is. That's like the, 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 like, excitement. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. For some reason, I was under the impression they were selling accounts. But if they're if they're just doing um, derivatives, then yeah, there's there's no way to stop that. Yeah, I mean, you could sell Ford's, you know, off chain, you know, super, you know, analog, right? The same kind of thing. I think you really, really, you need a, a point system for the point system so people can hedge <laughs> their point exposure. But that, the, I, 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 I think, think I think we're, we're, we're already starting to see that. No, no, there's already people starting doing that. So <laughs> my point is, wait, what? There are already people who are making like a, a point derivatives. Okay, sure. sure. <laughs> so like you, you. <laughs> I, I just think I think the 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 beauty of this space compared to everything else is this this freedom means people will find a way to be creative because they want liquidity. Yeah, no, that that is certainly true. Very interesting. Um, well, so I, I, I we're we're coming up on time, so I, I wanted to wrap Julian with um, sharing a little bit about because right now you guys are going through a big transition of your own. Originally, as I mentioned, you were Ribbon Finance. I think the token is still called Ribbon Finance, but you are alongside AVO, which is this decentralized uh, perpetual swaps protocol. Uh, you're also rebranding the token without points, as we established. Um, talk us through like why you guys are doing that. Uh, there haven't been a lot of rebrands in crypto, or certainly not in DeFi. Um, why are you guys rebranding the token? And, and what is that experience like for you guys? Because that sounds... Some people have done this thing where they launch a new token and it's totally new token supply. You guys are not doing that. You're moving everything over. Uh, why? And and actually, you know, this is a something we we were just having a conversation internally because there's another team we're talking to right now that is launching a second token with a new product instead of uh, moving over the original token. Talk us through how you're thinking about that. Yeah, I think um, ultimately, you know, teams have the choice to do a new token. I think we also maybe thought about it, but ultimately, I think. We just felt like the maybe thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like uh, the the product. We we basically were gonna collapse like the old product into the new product, and it wasn't gonna be this separate thing. And I think where it makes the most sense to do a new token is when you know maybe you're doing just like a hard pivot, like you're doing DeFi and now you're doing NFTs, and these are like completely separate things. You feel like uh, they have almost no 
reason to be tied together on like an economic standpoint. Maybe it makes sense. But I think for us, it was like pretty close and the products were going to get collapsed. Um, I think one main issue with doing a new token is sort of like the old token basically becomes worthless or becomes worth very little because uh, it's now sort of governing a very small part of what you're doing. Probably the team doesn't has probably abandoned the first product. So yeah, I think we didn't want to have that uh, mental sort of decision of like, should I buy this or that if I want to get exposure to what I'm working on? Um, so we just decided like, we quite like this single token model. Um, but you know, like I think as like someone who's been in this space for a few years, I think I know like new tokens are always like a, a new sort of story. I think people can build new, new hype around it. I think there are all these advantages to launching new token. Um, so, so I think, yeah, we, we kind of did both, uh, at the same time. So it's more just like a rebrand, but there's a bunch of like, uh, rules to, to how the token swap is going to happen and yeah, I think like, interestingly, almost all our users now, like don't even know what ribbon is like all these people in discord, like I, I've never heard of ribbon. Why are people saying it's related to this? Like no, no one even <laughs> knows, knows anything uh, about the old product, which I think is like really healthy. So I think for those users, like they perceive this as like a new project, they're excited about it. Um, but we also get sort of the old community who, you know, they've been like hardcore like DeFi slash option traders since like three years ago and, and they're still sort of along for the ride and still within the community. So yeah, I think that's sort of like our thought process. Um, we just get all these new people, all this new attention, uh, but we also sort of retain the, the old group. Um, I actually do think we're going to see a lot more rebrands this year, like uh, Matic did one recently, uh, Beam uh, Merit Circle did one recently, um, so yeah, maybe there's going to be this like bullish rebrand, like, uh, trend that, that be happen, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. There's also bit out a mantle. It, it, it yeah. does seem oh, like yeah. it's been actually, uh, uh, it, it's been rebrand season, I guess, just in time you, for a new you bull can't market. Forget the, uh, you can't forget the OG, Eastland Ave. I mean, that was the most what successful was, one. That was the most successful That's one. right. Definitely, far, definitely, right? definitely true. Definitely true. Well, until, but, but, until but, Able, but they changed they they changed the supply though, right? The denom they they changed which I, I that that part is the part where I actually feel like is kind of interesting because like even in normal stocks, people do that for like meme reasons or to like make it more retail friendly, like the Tesla stock split. Do you remember where they like changed it? Like like yeah, Polkadot I, did that. Polkadot, I don't remember when when was that. Yeah, yeah, Polkadot did that. They had um, the, like the unit price is very high, and they like did a, I, I don't know, like a hundred for one or thousand for one. Yeah, token split. I mean, the rebrand's um, a good I, time to do that, is what I mean. Like right. when yes, totally, totally agreed. But um, but you chose not okay, so, to do that, Julian, right? Yeah, I think we. Yeah, you decided to go one for one. One for one, like uh, the, the the denomination was small enough. We didn't need to add a few more zeros. <laughs> I do think um, I, I do think it can be helpful to markets just to like kind of you know people who are sort of think like oh you know this thing trades from here to here and you like do some weird conversion like divided by three point seven <laughs> and then it's like okay you can't really do the math anymore it's like well who knows what this thing is worth um, that that does seem to work at least to some extent but you know um, I, I well I want to ask you this before we close out because we're we're up on time but. Um, you know, you're uh, Julian. At this point, you are one of the DeFi OGs. You've been doing this for quite a while. Um, who do you look up to? 
as kind of your personal heroes within crypto or DeFi? Or like, who, who do you think has done it best or you want to emulate? Maybe this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but like, I actually really like the way that Jupiter founder did what they've been doing for the last few years. I mean, like, it's really, really? impressive. Okay. I mean, Jupiter. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I know the guy pretty well, like he's great and like, they really stuck it out. I think like we, we spoke like almost two years ago at like the absolute bottom of Solana and they were also, we were just like brainstorming ideas on, you know, rebranding. They, they effectively did a rebrand as well, uh, from like their previous swap protocol to this. So we have had a lot of back and forth around like, yeah, how, how to do this, um, and I mean, I, I think I really respect how they kind of stuck through the, 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 the Solana plan the whole time, like zero plans to, to do. They didn't get carried away by like the cross chain narrative or day two narrative. They were just like day one. From, they didn't go. Uh, they didn't move to a move chain. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, all these Solana protocols like moved to uh, Sui and whatever. Right. But, but these guys really stuck it out and. Like throughout the bear market, he was telling me that they had, you know, there are days where they had like zero users, like um, basically almost zero activity, but their products, like they, they had so much time to just iterate on the product. I think um, if you, if you guys have tried it, I actually think it's like a really good product as well. They, they, they've just told me like they've done everything from optimizing. arguably best product, best consumer product in crypto. I feel like exactly like they, they just care about small stuff like how quickly does the page load? Like how quickly does your token list like auto populate? Um, and, and as well as some like other sort of unique DCA features and stuff like that. So um, I actually think they, they did really well uh, for themselves and like the Solana community. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I really respect that they really stuck to the mission. They, they never like pivoted or, or cared about whatever people thought. Um, I guess that's just like in their personality as well as, uh, he's, he's a bit eccentric, I guess, do, doing all, all this like crazy meme coin stuff, but he just doesn't care. So I actually really respect that. Um, which may, may not be like a popular thing, but, uh, yeah, he's great. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. And uh, clearly, he's been he's been very handsomely rewarded for that. Yeah. So, uh, um, well well done to Meow. All right. Well, we're up on time. Thanks, Julian, for coming, joining us, and sharing your insights. And we'll be back next week. And hopefully, I'll hope my, my throat will be better. Cool. Hey, everybody. Thank you.